Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast, an interview with Ted Crosby. Ted, who sadly passed away quite recently. These are segments from interviews carried out between 2009 and 2011. Ted Crosby, uh, here in your own house, it's, it's lovely sitting down, looking out at the sunshine and the beautiful view and having a chat with you. Uh, I suppose recollections of your life, really. Um, I suppose if we, if we could start with your, uh, your background, uh, Ted. Your well, I'm, I'm fourth generation Crosby. Uh, if you include my great-great-grandfather, James Crosby, who came to Cork from Leitrim in about eight, 1829, and his had three, he had three sons, Thomas and two other sons. Thomas joined, as a young man, John Francis McGuire, about 1845, after the examiner had been founded a couple of years very much a self-educated young man. The other two boys uh, went to America as emigrants sometime in the late 40s, early 50s, and there are no letters from them, but they apparently uh, disappeared after the Battle of Gettysburg. It was known that they joined the Union Army, but they finished at that point. Uh, Thomas Crosby then had three sons, uh, Jim, George, and Richard. Uh, Jim and George went on to become partners in uh, the Examiner, and after it was turned into a company in 1896. And then uh, George, who was really the driving force, had two sons, my father, Thomas, and my uncle, George Crosby, who became Commander Crosby. Jim Crosby uh, had one so uh, son who be went on to become Senator James Crosby, one of the founder members of the Council of Europe in 1948. Your, your own father, was he, uh, was my he old a, father a then, recognized, or would he...? Well, it, it would have been more my grandfather, George, who... Uh, uh, was a unsuccessful politician, thanks be to God, because he stood twice for uh, either the Old for Ireland or the Monty Maguires, I can't remember, yeah. First, uh, in, uh, with Redmond. Yeah. And he was very much a home rule man. 
but what could have been described as a uh, a peaceful home room. That <laughs> he also did yeah. pretty well. What the bishop said then. Yeah. When you uh, came into the world, Ted, um, this was in um, Montenotti. Uh, yeah, in the in Sir John Arnott's. Old house. old house, which my grandfather bought in 1916. And he, how, did, how, did, how did that come about? Uh, the, well, I think Lady Arnest lived there for 15 years after the old man died. Mm-hmm. Then she died, and I think it was, you know, things weren't terribly good. And I, I think he got it with the land reasonably cheap. Uh, but um, uh, it, that was around the time that, the, uh, that Henry Ford bought the Cork Park. Mm-hmm. At that stage, uh, Thomas Crosby, my father, was 20 years of age, and uh, he went on then. Uh, he had very bad sight, and an awful lot of his friends were slaughtered in Flanders at that time. Yes, of course, a lot of... Uh, the, the, the First World War brought out a lot of An awful lot of people out of Munster, yeah. and, of course, and, and mm-hmm. of course Dublin and Leinster, and of course the North. Uh, went to Flanders, and, and, mm-hmm. and I, I, there's a figure around as to how many were were killed. Mm-hmm. Lots of them came back and uh, and didn't uh, have a particularly uh, happy life after. Uh, uh, did it affect your your? Uh, well, my father didn't yes. go because he had he had appalling eyesight all his life. Mm-hmm. But your uncle? My uncle went into the navy, mm-hmm. and uh, he um, he was a midshipman on the Royal Navy. And he came back and married her in nineteen twenty-three, twenty-four. Did he ever talk to you about his his? Uh, My mother did. Oh, did she? Yes. She, oh, she lived. She she was a Whitaker, and she lived with her mother and on York Hill with with her two sisters, three sisters, and uh, she had three brothers. Uh, one Sam was a captain in the. In the, uh, uh, I think in the Munster Fusiliers, mm-hmm. he was blown up three or four times, but he, he got he got over. Uh, Jim, Jimmy Whitaker, uh, and Teddy were were part of the Whitaker hatchery and butter merchants, mm-hmm. and uh, Sam became a, Sam became a, a, a timber broker. And uh, lived until he was about sixty-two. He was a very fine man. Mm-hmm. They were Presbyterians, and my father married my mother in 1926. And I think it was the first interdenominational marriage mm-hmm. in Cork after after the founding of the state. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. it's ne- that is my opinion. It's never been corrected by anyone, but I don't think anyone has ever bothered about it. <laughs> right. but, what, what was your mother's first name? Gladys. Gladys. Mm-hmm. And so had there, you... There oh, indeed. Was she close to you? I mean, was she a woman? Oh, she was. Oh, she was. Yeah, she was. Yeah. They, were, they, were, they were brought up to work, you know. I know. Yes. And, I, I, bro- I, I, and a huge, a huge... Uh, uh, responsibility for contracts but you know she was coming out of the say the the, the, the edwardian or, or or victorian type victorian, of lifestyle. yeah but they yeah. they were presbyterians they weren't church friends you know there was slight there was slight difference really 
So there was no nannies or... or uh, oh, well, eventually there, yeah. there, were, there was the odd nanny, all right. There was the, the, in fact, I didn't go to school until I was eight. I had a governess, as I had my sister. I went to Christians then, aged eight, in 1939. Mm-hmm. And I went on. I was, I was put into third class, and then I was... Three years after that, in did you, well, can you remember back? Did you settle in okay? Or? Oh, I did. I didn't have a problem at all. I, I was, I was actually, I was much better on English and maths than any any of the contemporaries there. I was moved from first to second to third class over a week, <laughs> uh, but I was, I, yeah. I, I found my own level there. But I, I was mm. a Christian then from nineteen thirty nine until nineteen forty nine, and I. I uh, went through the six years of secondary school. Mm-hmm. Did you start your rugby career while you were oh, there? I did. I did. You, got, you put on your rugby gear in Patrick's place and you put on your boots and you walked up Patrick's Hill in your rugby boots with the studs and Lansdowne and remember now Jim McCarthy uh, and a whole lot of very prominent uh, Eventually, Irish rugby players came out of that area, but the field was at that stage ran at an angle of of eight fifteen degrees from Connors Barracks down to the, the lower part, and you played up and down that field. So, if you were had any wisdom at all, that and you were playing two halves, you always played up the hill in the first half. They're, they they sometime in the early fifties. Then they left when bulldozers became cheaper. I think they leveled the fields, made two pitches. But we used to, have, having played, you then wash yourself in a in a cold a cold trough, and you go down down the hill again in your in your studs and boots and 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 dress yourself down and down the school. It 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 was it would have I mean. I don't think it was entirely the fault of the Christian brothers. <laughs> They'd be blamed for everything else. <laughs> but you, I suppose the um, what position? What were you fitted to? Were you forward or were you back? Oh, I was front row, right hand front row, and I actually I played junior rugby and slaughtered my prayers in 1946. Uh, then I played under seventeen rugby and sub for the for the senior team in nine forty seven. I was permanent on the senior team in nine forty eight forty nine, and I got a monster possible trial, and I went down to Thomond Park. I put on my blue possible jersey, and uh, I got down against a very large knobbly object who gave me the most miserable afternoon of my life for two hours because the, the trials went on for two hours. I was never pushing a white jersey, but the fellow opposite me uh, drove me through the, the pinch of Thoman Park. Uh, his, he was not unknown later, a fellow called Gordon Wood. Oh, indeed. That was the end of my, that was <laughs> the end of my representative rugby career. I, I was never so fit in my life, but, uh, and it got... Then, of course, you know, you you tend to live in an atmosphere of pass, passive smoking. So did you smoke? Oh, no, I didn't, but my, yeah. everyone around me smoked. 
and I had bronchitis, of course, but I was so fit, the bronchitis passed me by, actually, right. until I went to college when uh, I wasn't quite as active in my training as I, as I had been. Well, you had probably other interests at that stage. Well, of course, there were girls in the lower grounds, and that's why, you know, there was other activities. But, of course, I did, actually, I did play rugby on and off. I, I started as a sub on the senior team. They didn't like what they saw, and they dropped me into the junior team, who didn't like what they saw, and I eventually ended up on the UCC minor team C. Uh, so when I came out of college, I joined Dalton. And they didn't like what they saw, so eventually I ended up in Old Christians. Uh, and I went to Skibbereen on one day, refereed by a gentleman called Jimmy Reardon, an ex-Irish international who got one game in 1937. And at that stage I was showing that certain buoyancy that became more evident in uh, later life. I used to wear a size 44 trousers. Yeah. And... Um, Somebody tore them off me, and uh, uh, modesty prevailed, and they crammed me in to a size 32, whereupon after five minutes all, all uh, circulation stopped, my legs gave out, and with Mr. Reardon's suggestion, I was removed off the park in Skibbereen in a wheelbarrow, and that was the end of my rugby career. <laughs> I don't think we discussed it anymore. <laughs> that was a uh, what an exit. But you, you were, you're, uh, uh, but you had another passion in your life too, and that was sailing. And and you were oh, sailing yeah, well, at a very sailing. early age. Yeah, yeah. At, at this stage of my life, I'm now seventy-eight, and uh, as a particular relation have said, you remind me of an old rec- record. Uh, half cracked and repeat yourself, but I'm actually 69 years racing this year. I started, nowadays that's nothing because they start kids at six, but I started sailing in 1940, 41, and I sailed dinghies, three or four types of dinghy up to about 1967. But my father had a very nice boat and I, I used to kind of steer her as well. And um, I was married then in 1959, and we had four children pretty quickly. So I gave up my dinghy racing career and bought a white motorboat, which was much safer with very small children. <laughs> but you did reach the status of uh, Admiral in Cork Sailing. Oh, well, that, was, that was, wasn't until 1983, 84, 84, 85. So you, you stayed all the time. Oh, I did. Well, port, I went back yeah, into keelboat racing in 1973, mm. and I, I was yeah. Well, the um, the um, but yeah, no, I, 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 but I've, I've got very I've got cautious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you want you want, whereas I can still swim very well, but the old legs aren't quite as good as they might be. You get pitched over the side unless you're careful, raised. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, one of course. the great miracles mm. of the Volvo race, you know, and if you look. At what was at, uh, this, the race that, that we had this triumph mm. in Galway? Mm. It was a miracle. There were there were eight boats that between did three hundred thousand miles, and if you look at some of the TV material, how somebody wasn't lost over the side, and that is the great triumph for that race. It was. It was, it was such a uh, rough. But it's like standing yeah. for eight hours in front of a parlour. But. 
but you actually uh, participated in, in in different events and uh, I did, but I, I never. Oh, I, I I did I did the round iron one time, and of course. Tell me other, about that. Well, we had a boat called Praying Mantis, and there were seven other boats of the type, and we started from Wicklow on a Saturday afternoon. And as we went down the east coast, the weather got worse. And as we went down around the uh, south coast, at 12 o'clock we were somewhere off Yall and to blowing skittles. And I said, God, we've, we have another 500 miles to go and then we have to bring this boat back into Cork. Wouldn't it be much easier just to, to slip in there? So then I looked at the crew and I looked at the organisation and I looked at my checkbook and I said, pull down another reef. We're going on and we, and we got, we were down off High Island having our supper off Baltimore that evening and uh, we never looked back. My goodness. We, fin we, we yeah. finished, we, we finished, uh, we finished on the Friday it, we were at midday. But it, it, that's the only time I've done it. I was never much caught. I've been really an inshore racing man, mm -hmm. dinghies and inshore racing. Did you ever get close to being uh, picked for the Irish team? Or, uh... Oh, I did. I did. I was, uh, was a character called Johnny Hooper, who, and uh, I won the 505 championship on paper uh, in 1958. And uh, uh, I came ashore and I signed, after that, there were two races in the last day, and I came ashore and I signed the, the sheet, race sheet, to say that I had not broken any rules or anything else. And I came ashore after the, after the second race and I signed the sheet. But of course they pinned one sheet on top of the other and I signed the top one twice. So they disqualified me out of the second race. And Johnny Hooper won the series and uh, I was brought in as the spare helmsman to go to Austria for the Olympic Championships. Uh, Johnny being Johnny, God bless him, and he did very well. Uh, we were out in Lake Gmunden in, in, in the Tyrol. And there was no wind during the day, so we, uh, we used to have to get but we have, they used to have to race at six o'clock in the morning when they were. Mm. So I used to enjoy myself at night, go home about four, get him out of bed, <laughs> put him into the boat, kick him off, hope he wouldn't break his leg, and I'd go, I'd go sleep through the race. So we had a great time at that stage. Uh, at that stage, it was very interesting. It was the September nineteen fifty-five, and the Russians were still in Vienna. My yes, I said that. That so. It was the month the Russians left Vienna for the four power. Uh, if we, when we went into Vienna, sometime in the middle of September, every there was a pair of Russians with machine guns on every street corner, and they were rebuilding the opera house. My goodness, you were uh, you were just witnessing history. Yeah, it, oh, we were, yeah, because they were gone at the end of September. Yeah. Actually, they were still there when we were there. Yeah. So, how well did Ireland do? I can't remember. <laughs> uh, we didn't win it anyway. Yeah. I, my greatest companion there in the, in the evening was a, a very nice German gentleman uh, who had deserted from 
Stalingrad and had made it home through the snow. I'm not sure if those are words of truth in them, but uh, he was uh, I a bit awfully nice fellow, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm bloody lucky to be alive, I think. <laughs> <laughs> So you have fond memories of those of that oh, particular time. Oh, I have. Time. Yes, yeah. I, I won one big prize back in 1950. I won the Irish Championship. I don't think I've any. <laughs> I certainly haven't won anything of that consequence since. But you know, when you're 19, and you don't give a damn, really. And then you went straight into UCC. And, I did. Um, I did. I did three three years of of science, physics, and science, and chemistry. And uh, <coughs> I, I was put on the payroll of the examiner at three pounds a week, which wasn't bad. Nineteen forty-nine. So Dad said to me in spring at the end of nineteen fifty-two, he said, "Would you like to go to Sweden and uh, do a postgraduate course there?" I said, "I'd love to." So I went over actually into a central laboratory for a big paper company in Falun in. Northwest North, North Sweden, and I did uh, three months there, and I did another three months uh, testing paper in the in, in the, but I don't in in one of the paper mills there, but I, they're not what you call, the liveliest people in the world, but by God they're they're great engineers. Mm-hmm. So did, how did that benefit you? It did because greatly? it it it. Uh, you, you need for it doesn't matter how long you go away for till death, but you've got to come back. Particularly, particularly when you're the chairman or director, so on, you, you you need something that you're slightly independent mm. on. Uh, even though a lot of my training was sitting by Nelly, but I mean, whereas that I, I was also parallel with that. There was quite high mechanical maintenance. And we had some very good engineers, and from 1948 onwards, 45 onwards, they taught me to use my hands at lathe work and all the rest of it, which I keep I keep at up even up to this day, you know. Right. So even at that stage, you were hands on. Uh, ah yes, yeah. The uh, well, mm. like if you like if you had a chance, I did a fair bit with motor cars. I took engines asunder, and I I built I I built a small car. Uh, of of the chassis of an old Morris miner. Uh, my mother in law used to see me coming back from college, and she she said, "Who's that young man?" Uh, my my wife, who was then about eleven, used to give a damn, but she didn't realize that I was going to marry her daughter in due course. <laughs> but I did better for her. I had actually disposed of the aluminium aluminium Alice, which was the name of the car at that stage. But it, that that was they lived on the Western Road. But so, in fact, you you just loved the idea of getting stuck into an engine and taking. I did, yeah. Well, it, it 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 I wasn't what you call. I tell you what, Sweden taught me, and what chemistry taught me. It taught me then to write good, precise English. In what in what way now? Well, I tell you something. There were no computers in nineteen fifty one, fifty two. There was an awful lot of memory work in 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 chemistry. And if if you were studying for a good exam or an editor, by God, you you wrote down in the study period. You wrote down every damn thing you could, and in writing down with a, literally weeks of work in front of you, you, you learn to write economically. You've always taken a, a keen interest in 
the performing arts here in Cork City uh, in, in your um, support and uh, support more than actually certainly not participation <laughs> but I mean I was there on in 1955 on the National Burnt Down you know a lot of people mm. said it was the best bloody show the opera has ever put on but <laughs> but there were a lot of tears as well oh there were but it, and it took two, 10 years to rebuild it you know and there were a lot of us actually uh, I mean the opera house actually then cost 183,000 to rebuild it which there was only about 20,000 insurance on it, but there was money raised from all angles. And then Jack Lynch raised the fund of suitors and got the last 50,000. But and, and an awful lot of people, they always say that, you know, that it won't do. But the big one, it was there, you know. Uh, I've always, I mean, my great mentor there was Charlie Hennessy. Uh, my own my own uh, involvement on any kind of a major scale was, of course, when I was drafted in with with Charlie Hennessy and one or two others uh, by the Cork Opera House to put together uh, uh, an opera company to celebrate the 2005 year. And we brought down a very nice young lady who was still in Cork as general manager, a girl called Ethne Egan, and we employed on a, a performance basis a, 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 a director, a musical director and artistic director called Kevin Mallon. And we produced some very good stuff. Uh, our greatest triumph was last in 2008 when we produced the Verdi Mass Ball, which hadn't been seen in court for, or in Ireland for years. And it, it was the first time that uh, that great soprano, Caro Sullivan, mm-hmm. uh, actually did a full-length opera in Cork. But we had we had other operas in... Um, uh, I, we did The Marriage of Figaro in 2005, uh, and we did, uh, oh, Carmen that year, mm-hmm. and we went on to do two other Mozart operas in 2006, and we didn't really get financing from the Arts Council until about 2006, uh, which was modest, but it, it kept us going. I did get a letter from a parish priest up the country uh, saying to me that how dare this us bring a loose man like Don Gavani up among the maze of Kilcorny. <laughs> so I responded to him with my heart my mouth on the basis that he might read me off the altar, that if the maids that you hallow could put up with the bow Teddy Quill, Don Giovanni was only in the hapty place, so we heard no more. But the great regret I have, we, we lost our, uh, this year we, we, we lost all our public money, so we haven't actually folded the place, the the uh, uh, but we have our best way to describe it is that we have uh, like uh, the sleeping beauty mm-hmm. uh, we, we are lying on our beer waiting for the uh, golden touch of the prince of public of public finance what would be your most memorable uh, occasion during that time oh there were there were two one of course was opera 2005 gave their name 
to the Bocelli concert up in in uh, in Collins Barracks, where Bocelli came over and uh, Brigadier General Nash gave us the uh, Barracks Square of, of of Collins Barracks for an open air concert, and ten thousand people came up and and listened to Bocelli, mm -hmm. and a smashing soprano who was much better than he was, but that's between ourselves, and. There was this. This, as I think, was probably the highlight of the. Uh, oh, it was organised eventually by James Aiken mm -hmm. and the Examiner. I think was one of the main sponsors behind it. But that was one of the big nights. The other one, of course, was a very private affair where I was given the job of starting the Leeds swim. And the lady, who, who was. Uh, who had inveigled me into this, said, by the way, she said, uh, I've been talking to the ex-city manager, and he says, he has a bet with you to jump into the lee to test the purity of the drainage system. I said, would you do it again? I said, when? At the end of the lee swim. So I rang him up anyway, and I said, uh, do you really mean what you said to Anne O'Leary? Oh, he said, oh, he said yes. Well, I had said to him in 2001 when he was city manager, how's the drainage going? He said, oh, he said it's to be finished by 2004. And I said, it's going to be finished by 2004, sometime after 2006 or 2007. You and I will jump in off the city hall key and, and test it. Of course, they brought it back to September 2005. So the pair of us jumped in and we came out, we, we drove down, or swam down under Michael Collins Bridge, came up the steps of the Custom House. I was ushered by the fire brigade through four high-speed jets to purify me. And uh, uh, on the other side was Jenny O'Sullivan of, of RT. And there was I, bare-breasted on RST, and she said, Oh, Mr. Crosby, says she, how are you? Jenny, I said, I'm smelling like a rose. What do you put on your roses? <laughs> says she. So, anyway. You were whisked off, I think. I was removed by my daughter, who was a little, a little concerned. That, and, of course, inevitably, a picture of my not inconsiderable frame was where appeared feet first is the river in the echo. Oh, it's beautiful. But you would, was, if I'm never remembered for anything else, I'd be remembered for, for that, that swim. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Ted, you're, um, you're sitting on a lot of boards. You're involved in a lot of I know, I, I get you off them now. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I have nine grandchildren, one of them lovelier than the other. And I have five children married, all within 10 miles of me. I'm a very lucky man. Mm. Uh, I, have, uh, I have the worries about the press at this stage, which we all have at the moment. You're, you're semi-retired, but I would imagine that the... the How are you there? The only way you retire is into the grave. You know? <laughs> I don't, can't see you retiring. But there was a time, I would imagine, that... Uh, you were helped a lot by 
by your dear wife, uh, who, oh, who, who used to share difficulties with you. So you see, there, there were very different times because we had four children in between 1961 and 1965. That's the way it was then, you know. Ah, yes. And um, there was an awful lot. I was one of the, my wife and I were one of numerous families that had four, five, and six children. You know, that was the way it was in the 60s. Now, 2.1 probably is the average. But I don't, well, I also, she looked after the home, and she looked after the children, and she was, ex, ex, and she looked after her mother and father. Uh, but she was a wonderful wife. And then, of course, as they grew up, uh, the, the youngest, in 1985 was 12 or 13, so you know, they were fairly independent. And then of course, they all went through college at some stage. And she started getting a lot of interest. She got interest. Uh, she, she, she was a wonderful company on the social, social, social side. Uh, she, she looked after the home, as I said, very well. But she also, uh, found from about 1985 on mm. that she had uh, a little bit more time for to do other things. We had two marvelous years in 1984 and 85 because uh, I was made admiral of the Royal Cork and she was Lady Admiral. And she really enjoyed that because she was a hugely sociable, generous being and uh, she loved the company and she loved the old chat. Uh, we used to have a party here Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve. And I used to sit on the stairs up there, say, half past four in the morning, and the wind and snow would be blowing from the northwest. And they'd have, she, Charlie Hennessy, and Michael Bradley mm -hmm. would be engaged in totally meaningless but uh, wonderful conversation uh, with the open door and the snow coming in until I'd go down, yank her in, uh, kick the two of them into their respective motor cars and send her up to bed and shut the door. But I mean, she, she loved conversation. And, and of course, mm. then when we went to, play, to newspaper uh, uh, organizations, uh, she was the life and soul of the party, you know. And she, she was just, I suppose I'm, I'm, she was very nice. I know, and 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 obviously um, hugely missed. I would imagine. In, in oh yes, well of course, mm. uh, she was hugely missed, and in a lot of ways, uh, I was glad that she wasn't there for her death of her of her brother, Doctor Michael Keller, who was a very well known psychiatrist, very much involved in the suicide uh, yeah. side, and then of course. Thanks be to God, she wasn't there when 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 our daughter died last two years, Suzanne, eighteen yeah. months ago. Yeah, uh, she was spared that. Yeah, yeah. So between all the tragedy in your life, and as as well as you know, you had your ups and downs. You really had a, a roller coaster life. Well, go back to my mother. That strong Presbyterian. <laughs> Come on, and I'll put on the potato. Oh, listen, it has been a pleasure talking to no, you, Ted. Don't. Thank you I, so I'll much. I'll get a here. good sub-editor to it, will you? <laughs> I will, <indeed. laughs>
You've been listening to the late Ted Crosby. For more information about this recording and other recordings made with Ted, please visit her website at www.irishlifeandlore.com. My name is Morris O'Keefe and I look forward to bringing you another podcast next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.